Hi, my name is Ellie Cody, and this is Manhattan Sideways. On today's episode, I speak with Suzanne Newman of Suzanne Couture Millinery. Here's what Betsy Bober Pallavi, founder of Manhattan Sideways, had to say about Suzanne and her business. I've never worn a hat myself. I was even reluctant to put one on as a child in the middle of the winter. This does not mean, however, that I didn't marvel, even at a young age, at the beautiful hats that women wore to special occasions. And I distinctly remember taking note while living in England, where the hat is taken quite seriously for both men and women. Having the chance to meet Suzanne Newman and to listen to her share the history of her millinery career was a unique New York experience. I was completely captivated as she discussed in full detail the creative process that she and her team go through while designing and assembling each individual piece of art. How special that on a side street in the East 60s, Manhattan has their own craftswoman who has been fashioning hats for women around the world for decades. Hi, Suzanne. Hello. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Could I please start by having you introduce yourself and tell me the name of your business? I'm Suzanne Newman, and my business is Suzanne Couture Millinery. You're from South Africa. Correct, And yes. you lived in London for a while. Yes, so I did. Can I you did. tell me about growing up in South Africa and how you moved to London? <laughs> it's quite a story. Well... After high school, I was really interested in doing design of some sort. I was interested in fashion. I, I love clothes. I love materials. I love making things. And my parents wanted me to go to university and study, which was not my course. And so after going to college and not getting through the first year, they told me that I need to reconsider what I want to do. So I I sold the car that they had just given me and bought a ticket to London. And I got to London and I, I worked in fashion in Knightsbridge and I was there for over 10 years. So I was still in fashion, but not hats. I worked for Escalade, which was a very innovative department store that had just started up by an American and it was very trendy fashion at the time. And that's where I worked until I left. What made you interested in fashion to start out with? I suppose I always grew up making things and I remember making clothes for my dolls and in South Africa it wasn't readily available you couldn't go into a a toy store and buy dolls clothes and so I would have little fabrics and make little clothes myself cut the patterns out and stitch it up and my parents allowed me to use the sewing machine that they had something that struck me is that I remember wanting to go to a prom and I wanted to wear a black dress and my mother told me that I could not wear a black dress. She was not going to let her daughter wear a black dress to a prom. So I said, oh, okay. And I went and bought myself some fabric and a pattern, went into my bedroom, laid it down on the floor, cut it out and made myself a black dress. (laughs) And I wore it to the prom. So let's talk about your hats. Right now you're in the summer season. Yes, preparing for the fall. How many hats do you have 
in the store, how many hats do you have each season? Oh, Lord. Um, I don't know. Hundreds, I would say. What happens with the hats at the end of the season? Well, I packed some of them that are still good and viable for next season. They will be packed up and stored away and then some winter things bought out. Some of my hats are as good today as they were 10 years ago and they will be in another 10 years because it's good quality, the shapes are good and they don't change that much. Where do you get your inspiration for your designs? On a daily basis. From magazines, from theater, museums, new designers. But basically what we do is what makes a woman look good in a hat for special occasions, weddings, bar mitzvahs, horse races. And with a horse race you can go beyond what you could for mother of the bride, so to speak. So I need to have two types, three types of hats, an everyday wearable hat, a hat for a special occasion, and then those where you can go all out like the horse races. To what extent do you follow trends in fashion? Oh yes, I do, definitely. I follow it as sharply as I can. But then again, shapes don't change that much, but I definitely follow and watch. I look at every hat that's in the magazines and I eye them. I look at them and say, well, I haven't done that one quite right. Well, it's, it doesn't have the right proportion. I wonder why they did that. But then the, the stylists, they are doing it for style and not it probably doesn't even fit the, the model's head when it's in a magazine. I also, I also believe that Australia is very fashion forward with their hats and hat designers. There are a lot of milliners in Sydney, uh, Melbourne, uh, for the Melbourne Cup, and I follow that on Instagram. What trends do you see coming up for the winter season and maybe even next Fedoras have been the trend for for a long time now. I don't see them going away anytime soon. And I'm very happy to say that more and more people feel comfortable wearing a hat, be a fedora of sorts. You know, bigger brim, smaller brim, higher crown, shallow crown, little pork pie. And the younger generation are definitely more involved in wearing hats and fun hats with color and they, they're not as inhibited. Who are your customers? Horse racing mainly, it's a big big event for me. Um, luncheon ladies, in the springtime you have the Central Park Conservancy luncheon which is a very big event in the city. Boston has a conservancy luncheon, so does Washington, so does Chicago. Um, also down in Palm Beach they have Red Cross luncheons and it, it, I mean, it's, it's constant and they're all hat events. What do you know about the history of hat culture? How did horse racing become something that needed a hat? Probably back from Ascot days. Back then 
a lady never left the house without wearing a hat and then going to Ascot was always very showy and the best wore the best finery and so the hats were always the thing to show off at the horse race and it's still like that today. Why do you think it continues? I think because actually a woman looks good in a hat, the right hat, and it brings out her personality and it's a form of expression. At an event like that, you can allow yourself to express whimsy. Before we continue, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor, the Flatiron 23rd Street Partnership. After the break, we'll hear more from Suzanne about her design process and about the way New York has evolved, so don't go away. And if you, your company, organization, or business would like to sponsor the Manhattan Sideways podcast, send an email to info at sideways.nyc. The Flatiron District, anchored by its namesake, the Flatiron Building, is a world-renowned dining and retail destination. Beyond notable award winners like Cosme on 22nd Street and retail flagships lining Fifth Avenue, the neighborhood's side streets are packed with the type of hidden gems that everyone wants to know. Grab a roll at Australian Cafe Burke Street Bakery on 28th Street. Head over to 26th to browse the racks at French clothing boutique Noir Blanc. For a relaxation experience like no other, Inscape on 21st will guide your meditation. The Flatiron 23rd Street Partnership also hosts free events on the Flatiron Plaza like the 23 Days of Flatiron Cheer Holiday Program and the Flatiron Summer Series, showcasing neighborhood faves. For insider info on neighborhood happenings, visit flatirondistrict.nyc or at flatironny. Do you wear your own hats? Yes. I have a very small head and so I can't just take a hat and put it on, it, it doesn't fit me. I have to actually make the hat myself to fit me. So um, it's, it's like, you know, the story of the shoemaker, never have a shoe for yourself. I do of course wear hats and I, I do have my own. Um, but I can't just go and take this hat and say, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to wear this one today because it doesn't fit me. It comes right down over my eyes. <laughs> Do the other women who work in the shop wear the hats too? Yes, yes, we do. Are you wearing your hat today, Emily? <laughs> <laughs> if I could, I would wear all the hats all the time. Oh. <laughs> you know, we're trying them on all day long. Because as, as the process of making a hat, you take it, you try it on, look in the mirror, is the angle right, does it need a little more height here, is it a little too, is it a little too sharp on this angle? So we're, we're wearing hats all the time, trying them on. <laughs> They're not mass produced at all, each hat comes up differently. Even if somebody looks at a hat and says, oh I would like this one in another color, it really never is exactly the same because it is done by hand. We do all the work in back of the store in my atelier and I have the fabrics. We cut it, we size the straw, we use our own sizing which is a, a form of a glue. Um, it's placed on the wooden block, it's, it's corded, it's dried, it's cut, the crown is attached to the brim, uh, we do the grow, so the grow grains in, sometimes by hand, sometimes by machine, or the edges 
are all rolled by hand, which is very labor intensive. Feathers are dyed here to match the colors needed. We have the pot here, big boiling pot of water to do the dye. Um, sometimes I do it at home because I have more space. And the finishing is, it's all, it's all done here. How long does that whole process typically take? If somebody told me they needed the hat tomorrow, I would probably work all night and get it done. But I like to have a good week, preferably three weeks in my busy season to have a hat made. But if somebody was desperate, I have been known to work overnight. You do custom hats. Yes, that's what we do, mainly yes. custom hats. Um, so what does that process look like when a woman comes in and has an idea or an event and wants to work through and design a hat with you. Can you walk me through that? Well, we do have hats in the store on the shelves ready to buy if it so works for you. So have a base to work from. Say it's the mother of a bride and she'll bring me in her dress. I will want to know where the wedding's held. That also depends on what kind of a hat. Is it a garden party event? Is it, a f is it formal? Is it in the mountains? Is it, all, all those things are important as to the protocol to wear the hat. So a formal wedding in London, say, you can get dressed up a little more and your hat can be a little more couture, a little more special. In the mountains in Colorado, I think it it's not the same type of a hat. So I have to put all those things into perspective. Mm -hmm. And so then do you sit down and talk through yes. your ideas? With, yes, yes. Would you say that it's a collaborative effort at that point or do you sort of get the input and then? I, I'll get the input and then give my advice. Mostly my advice is taken. <laughs> but, it, but I won't fight a client if she says, oh no, 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 that's not for me. I'll, I'll let it go because she's wearing it, not me, and she has to feel comfortable in the hat. Let's jump back to the designs of the hats. Okay. And when they come to you, how do you keep track of them, and where do you then find the materials to make them a reality? Yes, well, I wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and start thinking about, um, oh, this would be nice, making bird's nest. I have those birds. I saw those little birds down in the market when I was there. That'll, that'll look good on a hat. I must go and go and purchase those and then um, thinking about what shape it would look good in. Um, and so I, I get, uh, I source my materials here in the city. We, we have a remarkable uh, amount to choose from. I think the best in the world. Uh, but I do, I do get fabrics in, in Europe. Um, I work very heavily in a, um, a fiber called Cinnamé, which is a natural straw, and it's a, a, a woven straw, and I am able to dye to colors as closely as possible. And then every day we create new things, new ideas of how to paint feathers, how to dye feathers, how to strip feathers, how to cut them. Yeah, and you know, we, str we struggle, and if something doesn't work, well, no, that, that doesn't look good, that's not going to happen, and uh, put it aside. And then maybe six months later, oh, you know that, you know those feathers that we did? Where are they? Oh, you know, that will look good on this hat. 
so, and we don't throw anything away. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> All little bits get put aside. I'm very parsimonious about that. How do you keep track of them all? We don't. <laughs> we, have, we, we have drawers and bags and boxes full of stuff. But I do know where they are. You know. I know. I know exactly <laughs> where they are. Could you describe for me a couple of creations that you have particularly loved? One of them is a... I tried a, making a hat out of plexi and I was able to heat it and mold it and work it and I, I mean I had never done anything like that before so that was very inspirational to me and and it was very futuristic uh, it wasn't the run-of-the-mill hats and um, that was one that I really enjoyed doing because it was different uh-huh. I want to go back. You mentioned that being in New York is so helpful for sourcing your materials. Are there other ways that being in New York specifically has impacted your business? Well, I, I doubt whether I could do this in any other city other than New York City in, in America. I mean, apart from the resources, you know, you have clients coming from all over the world, they come to New York City. And it's a huge shopping hub. And uh, the word of mouth I, I get gets out. And um, I don't, I doubt I could do it anywhere else. Of course, London, London's another place, but it's even better than Paris for hats. How have you seen New York change over the time that you've been Oh, there? tremendously. Oh. Um, when I first started, I could go onto 38th Street and walk in and out, one store after the next, after the next, pick up a grow grain here, it was the perfect color, pick up a trim on the next store, the next store would have uh, wooden blocks, the next, the next store would have elastics, and whatever you needed, you found it on 38th Street between 5th and 6th. It's gone now those stores don't exist they're now coffee shops or clothing shops and it's very sad to see that and it will never happen again again on on 40th street between 7th and 8th we're all fabric stores one after the next from elegant fabrics b and j lace star you just go from one to the next if you couldn't find in one store you crossed the road went to the next and you'd find it now you've got to go walk over to 36th and 7th and back to 38th Street up on the fourth floor and it isn't the same anymore. It takes three times as long as it used to. I used to be able to drop my daughter off at school at 8.30, get downtown. Those, those stores in the Millinery District were open at 8. I would be able to get all my work done, everything that I needed and back and open my store at 10 a.m. Can't do that today. No. No, no. Certainly not. Where do you see the future of your shop? Do you think that you will stay 
here in this space? I, I'm hoping to, yes. Mm-hmm. I need to renegotiate a lease, which I believe is, is okay to re- renegotiate. So yes, I would like to stay in this space. We, we, have, um, we have the workroom at the back and it's quite spacious or spacious enough. Never have enough space in New York City. Um, and, and it's convenient. It's not Madison Avenue anymore, but still, it's very close by, and uh, my clients know where I am. So, so your good. original shop was on Madison, correct? Well, my second shop your was second on, shop. on, Ma- shop was on, on Madison. Madison. Yes, yes. And what made you move to Sixty First Street? The 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 building uh, at Seven Hundred Madison was sold, and they they gutted the building and there was no we none of us could renew our leases at that location so i moved around the corner to 61 just off madison number 27 and it was uh, a brownstone up a few steps and i was there for 10 years i don't know 10 years or i I don't know 10 yes i think about 10 years um and then again that building was sold and they gutted so i i was forced to leave there and fortunate to found this space on the same street mm-hmm. how has it been being on a side street compared to being on madison Avenue? oh i i was petrified at first i really was coming off madison and was but fortunately it hasn't affected me very much i do miss watching everybody walk by. I, I miss seeing who's who walking by on Madison. <laughs> Can't have everything. Your customers, did they mostly follow you here? Yes, absolutely. Yes. And and of course now with the internet and this wonderful device, the iPhone, I'm reachable and I can do a sale over the iPhone with photographs, sending pictures, images, what are you wearing, send me a picture of your dress, and then send samples via pictures. So it's worked very well. Are you still just as involved in making the hats? Yes. 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 I I certainly am. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoy dealing personally with my clients. I have been asked... um, why haven't I taken my business wholesale? And if I did that, I would lose my contacts, my one-on-one contact with my client, which is what I enjoy doing. I love seeing the finished product on my client and then receiving a picture afterwards when they're all done and put together. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Ellie, and this has been a podcast by Manhattan Sideways. If you're interested in learning more about this business or about the thousands of other small businesses on the side streets of Manhattan, be sure to check out our website, www.sideways.nyc, and follow us on social media, at NY Sideways. See you next time.